1: Welcome in the latest episode of Five on the Floor on the Five Reasons Sports Network. You can also catch us every day, every weekday, Monday through Friday on the Nothing But Net channel. Just download Dash Radio on your favorite device and then look for Nothing But Net, search for Nothing But Net. And then after you do that, um, you will be able to find our episodes from 10 to 11 a.m., Every day of the week, Eastern and 7 to 8 a.m. Pacific. Also, check out 5ReasonsSports.com. Not just for heat content, although we got plenty of that. Kias Duncan's going to be producing his launching pad here soon. But also, we got some Dolphins content coming up. Josh Houts is going to be writing every Tuesday for every Tuesday. And we've got plenty of Marlins stuff. As we go to sleep tonight, the Marlins are in first place in the National League East. They have three players left after everyone pretty much tested positive for COVID. But they are two and one as the Orioles come to town. Also, check out all the great sponsors in the Five Reasons Sports Network. This is one of our favorite sponsors. I took some of these to the beach the other day. Biscayne Bay Brewing, the official craft beer of Inner Miami. The Miami Marlins, and as it says in their Twitter profile, Five Reason Sports, this is South Florida's actual independent brewery. No one else owns them. Biscayne Bay is owned by local guys still who employ people in this community to make their beer right here in South Florida. These guys are committed to our community, and so they support Five Reason Sports. So we can keep bringing you all the local sports content that you can handle for free if you care about supporting local business and drinking amazing beer grab their stuff marlins lager again the marlins two and one miami pale ale or what i took to the beach the other day tropical bay ipa and we might have something connected to our guy tropical blanket with that at all major retailers you can find it in south florida it's the beer we're drinking at five reason sports that's biscayne bay brewing our official craft beer and now today's episode
2: Welcome to Five on the Floor, a Miami Heat and NBA podcast from Ethan Skolnick with Alvon Sydney, aka ALF954, brought to you by the Five Reasons Sports Network.
1: All right, Ethan Skolnick back on five on the floor. Today's floor plan, I've got Alex Toledo, I've got Greg Sylvander, Alphonse Sidney will be joining us later in the week. We've also got some great guests coming up here on five on the floor. Matt Moore, you know him as HP Basketball, on Twitter. I think he has probably more Twitter followers than anybody, but Shams or Woj. Uh, he's going to be joining us. He lives out in Colorado now, and so he covers the Nuggets. And, of course, that's who – The Heat will be playing in their first official game back. Also, check out our YouTube channel, where we did a live stream at halftime. We're going to do another one on Tuesday, but we did one uh, for the Kings game and then the Jazz game. Let's get to it, guys. Um, Let's talk about that game a little bit because we talked at halftime. Eric Spolster, after the game, basically said, I didn't really want to go to overtime. Uh, He was okay with the Solomon Hill Miss 3 at the end because a 2 could have tied it. Uh, They just wanted to get that thing over with. My basic premise, guys, is that the Heat have pretty much, through two scrimmages, gotten out of this what they wanted to. They've got Bam and Nunn back. Bam's probably going to play in the third scrimmage. Nun played in the second scrimmage. He was rusty, but at least he was out there. They've gotten a uh, really impressive play from Kelly Olynyk, who's an X-factor for them. They've gotten Tyler Hero to handle more responsibility and to grow between the first game and the second game. And they've got Iguodala and Crowder looking pretty comfy um, out there together and with the second unit. Greg, what have you taken from it? Is there anything that you would like to see other than Bam being out there that we haven't seen yet?
3: Um, I mean, for the most part, I, I would say that we've seen everything that we, we would have hoped. Uh, obviously, we want to see as much Jimmy looking like Jimmy as possible, so that's still something that is a little bit of a variable. That uh, hopefully we'll get a little more clarity in this next scrimmage. Um, I'm hoping that this is almost like the dress rehearsal um, type scrimmage game. But uh, other than that, I really think that there is uh, a lot to take from it. That's been really positive. No injuries. I'm knocking on wood right now. In spirit for all of our listeners, that hopefully that shall continue because I think that that's a big part of this too. But all the things that we've been looking for, we've we've seen for the most part. So I'm really pulling away, really positive. particularly when you look around the league and you see what other teams have gone through and there's been some ups and downs and some injuries and things like that. It's just nice to see so far that things have gotten off to a pretty smooth start.
1: The biggest thing I think the most people took out of game two was, was a and hero. Um, and we're going to talk about hero quite a bit on this episode. I mean, that, that is going to be the focus of the episode part two. Uh, I want to get into a with you a little bit here, Alex, because the way he was shooting, he made twenty of his last thirty threes going into the break. Twenty of his last thirty, and I, I think we, we made the mistake on a lot of our podcasts of not talking about him at all. Like we, I think there was one episode where somebody brought him up or something close to him, or we like, oh yeah, Kelly Olenek's still on the team. Uh, how I guess how important is this in the grand scheme of things that they have a big who can be productive like this off the bench?
2: Well, I mean, it's definitely important, right? I think we stopped talking about him so much because he stopped being a consistent force for them as he was the last couple of seasons, right? Like we, he was a part of their best five for the past two seasons before this one. And now we saw him kind of winding back up before the season shut down again. And now he's kind of just coming back from where he left off. I mean, he looked amazing yesterday. That was some of the best ball I've seen Kelly Olynyk play for the Miami Heat. So if he kept, I mean, he was drafted as a, offense first guy coming out of Gonzaga who could create for himself and others from the post who could always shoot it and has little ball skills He just doesn't always you know doesn't always have the athleticism needed to uh, be a good rim protector which is really his issue uh, other than that if he can really be productive for this team that's gonna be huge you is know there us, ch- is there you know, any
1: chance Greg I mean, we haven't talked about him at all as a possible closer I, like it's not even something we discuss. I mean, we, we, we throw out the names and we've kind of narrowed it down to seven guys. Olenek is not anyone we talk about because I guess we're assuming that it's going to be Bam and the small ball four out there, whether it's, I don't know, Crowder, Iguodala, Jimmy. <laughs> you know, I mean, when, when they go really small. Uh, is there any chance, do you think, that we could see him in some of those situations with Bam just because the two of them did have such great chemistry before? It's funny you
3: say that because I think we all – It's um, we subconsciously immediately size down whenever we think about the end of games because I think that that's just the way that the league is going. But uh, you're on to something here because there's a couple of reasons why. One, obviously, we've seen that Olenek and Bam um, can be a really great complementary unit up front. But the other part of it is is that before Bam was doing all this dribble handoff stuff, that was the Kelly Olenek special. And, I, you know, there's the Kelly keeper and stuff like that. That you know, So I feel like having two dribble handoff threats that are as smart with that type of um, action with Duncan Robinson or Tyler Hero, but particularly Duncan Robinson, um, I think that you may be onto something in terms of just them being able to get Duncan the shots that they, that they want him to get. Uh, to have two of those options on the floor, that may be something we see as they, as they close games.
1: Can they handle that defensively, I guess? I, I, if, if they're going to play him out there with Bam, are they able to – I mean, because Bam can switch everything. Bam can get on the perimeter. But if he does that, then you've got Kelly behind him. You don't really have – I mean, not, not that you've got great rim protection if Jay Crowder's your four, but I feel like you have even less with Kelly out there. I mean, can they handle that defensively?
3: This is going to go back to having they they may need they may need to size up at the wing and guard spots. So like you may see Jimmy like for instance, you could have a situation where you have Duncan, Iguodala and Jimmy as the other three guys and I know that that sounds completely unconventional, but you may want to c- counteract the lack of rim protection or the fact that maybe, you know, Olinick can't necessarily switch on everything by having as many long rangy defenders I love that on the court um so I think that that may be if there is that potential and they do have some issues defensively that that may be one uh you know option to explore
1: Alex you think that's doable for them
2: oh yeah I mean again Kelly and Bam fit well together I think we would have seen a more productive Kelly like I've always said if he would have been playing next to Bam so I definitely could see that happening and then like uh Leif said You know, having more guys who are ranger and longer, I think, is a good way to kind of uh, make up for some of those gaps. And I think, uh, honestly, it's a very good idea. That's really the only thing we haven't seen from Spo yet is literally putting Jimmy at point guard and then sizing up everywhere else. That's the one Mm -hmm. thing we haven't really seen, but it's because the team hasn't been healthy yet. So at the -hmm. same time, it's all really just comes back to the hell. And I'm really excited to see the team healthy and, you know, all these parts and how they go together. Now you look at it, you got, like Leif said, a uh, dribble handoff threat in every single lineup, and you know very good defenders in every single lineup. It's kind of like a balance, you know. You see that that bench lineup of Dragic, Hero, Crowder, Guadala, and Kelly, and then you see you see the the good defenders there. You see Jimmy and Bam as the the ones carrying the defense in a starting unit, and I think that's kind of the balance that Spo is banking on at this point. We've been talking about the offense defense balance, the the you know just the general two way balance that he has to. Uh, master. And I think that's what he's banking on is those two lineups and then with some staggering, you know, in between.
1: Well, let's look at some of this specifically, because I haven't really thought of the option of, you know, sizing up where where Jimmy's basically, you know, your, your shortest player, um, you know, because he's playing a lot of point guard now. Anyway, it's just a question of taking none and Dragic and hero off the floor in those situations and, and having, you know, Jimmy basically playing with a bunch of wings. I
2: think then, you could even do that with hero. Cause hero's correct. like six, five, six, four. Mm-hmm. Like I think it easier, smallest guy too. That's pretty good. Like I'm, I'm with it.
1: Well, I, but let's, let's look at some of the matchups. All right. So which teams you could actually do this against in the East, right? Uh, you know, Boston, Boston, Boston is one, but uh, you know, Boston, if you're playing Kemba at the point, that means Jimmy's going to have to chase Kemba around or, or Iguidala's is going to have to chase Kemba around. Uh, if you do that, you've got Lowry. I was watching Lowry tonight uh, for Toronto. He looked pretty sharp. Uh, you know, I, I mean, obviously he makes everything go for Toronto. Uh, you watch Indiana. I'm watching, you know, Brogdon's a little bit more conventional. I feel like Jimmy can handle that matchup. Uh, you know, and I, I just, I do want to talk a little about Indiana tonight because I watched uh, some of that scrimmage and, and Oladipo looked pretty fluid to me. Um, it, it's looking to me like he's playing. Uh, it's looking to me like Sabonis is not. (laughs) So, you know, and and Miles Turner was trying to post a little bit more tonight. I think they're trying to figure out ways to go in there. When you look at their roster without Sabonis, they just don't have enough up front. But Oladipo did look good tonight. But getting back to some of the guards, uh, you know, Philly, uh, you know, again, if they're going to play Shake Milton a lot at point guard, I, I don't know if you know how, you know, Miami matches up there with Jimmy, but I do feel like some of those I bigger lines... I think line- Miami matches up better with the
2: Sixers now than they did before. Sorry to interrupt.
1: No, they, they do match up with the Sixers better now. But again, if you're going to play Jimmy at point, then, then you're sizing up against a team that's sizing down. So they look a little bit different than they looked before. That's all. Um, the other news we should talk about, and we are going to get to Harrow on the second part of this pod, but the other thing that's happened in the last 24 hours is that Joel Embiid sat out uh, a scrimmage for something that looks minor but with joel nothing ever turns out to be minor um is he gonna get through this i know we're, there's no crystal ball here is he is he gonna get through this entire thing what, what are the I chances think, I, I think
3: that he will um i mean you know that the six are slander for me it's hard for me to necessarily look at this objectively but i shall try i mean i, I think that Embiid will probably make it through because they're going to manage um you know the his workload and things like that, and when you have Al Horford, I think that they have the luxury of being careful at least initially in these uh, seating games because it's not as big a deal where you end up getting seated. But it is—it's it, interesting to see. From the Heat's perspective, you have Joel that's a little banged up. And that's always a thing where I think everyone in Philadelphia collectively takes a really deep breath in that moment when you see any report of Joel Embiid being injured. And then Domas is now down for Indiana, which he really was the engine of that team all season long. Um, We talk about Bam's passing. Um, He's a a great facilitator as well for a big. So now you've got two teams and then Kemba with – ankle issues. I, I think it's the ankle. I, maybe it's a knee. Um, so, so there's all these like question marks from oh, me.
2: This thing was a,
1: was a calf injury. Oh, was it? Okay. Embiid's yeah, a calf and, and Kemba's is a knee. Got it. Yeah, so, yeah.
3: so all, all of those things kind of, um, are things to watch from the Heat's perspective because it's it's pretty clear that those are the three teams that they're aiming for. Um, and uh, but I think ultimately we'll see Embiid get through. He made it through the playoffs last year, so um, I you know I would expect he could probably do that again this year.
1: I mean, if if they don't, they started Horford today without Embiid, Alex. Um, you know, which is a way to get their well, – I don't know. 150 million dollar man back in the lineup, uh, but if if he's going to be in and out, like we saw a couple of years ago, where Embiid and Simmons kind of took turns being out, and they were better without each other. But they cannot. I mean, with the way they're constructed now, can they even compete in a first round series without one or the other?
2: One or the other, as far as Embiid and Simmons, Embiid and Simmons, yeah. Well. Yes, but I think the problem has kind of been I'm actually a fan of this move, right? Because, first of all, Shake Milton is somebody who's not shooting a huge amount of volume on three, but he is shooting 45% at three attempts a game. So it's not nothing. And it gives him another handler, somebody, another competent, you know, somebody who can handle the ball and kind of give them more variety on offense. Whereas if Simmons handling the whole time and you're like, okay, nobody else can really handle except maybe Josh Richardson. You get me, the offense was always a little bit clunky. And now it, it, you know you can use Simmons as a lob threat you can use him as a screener you can give him the ball a lot more in transition uh, and and put him back to his point guard you get what I'm saying like it gives them more variety on offense and so that's a good thing for them but at the same time it's a good thing for the Heat because now the size problem that the Sixers really gave the Heat has kind of been uh, you know it's kind of been eradicated because you're dealing with Horford off the bench now and I'm I feel better. I actually feel better about that for the Heat chances. So if that's the case, even though the Sixers are better, I think with this formula,
1: well, one one of the moves that the the Heat made to, to sort of neutralize Philadelphia was you know giving Myers Leonard the second stint in the first half in particular. That kind of flipped that whole season series because you know suddenly they they had they were a little more stout. They could play the man up, uh, but if they're going to go with you know Simmons at the four. And Embiid and Horford are basically rotating with each other. Is it possible we see less Myers, uh, more small ball fours for the Heat? Yep. And and maybe more Kelly than Myers actually, because you know you won't, you know you can play Kelly against Horford quite a bit, and I, I don't really think you're hurt there.
3: Yeah. No, I think you're you're definitely going down the road of of the way that they would have the ability to kind of match up with that in a different way. Um, and you know, to kind of go back to your question, the overarching theme is that the Sixers cannot continue to try to have this situation where you have two pillars of the organization that can't necessarily, um, both flourish at the same time. Like that's just not going to work long-term. And I feel like this postseason in particular, something that is not being talked about enough is that this is when they're going to start making the decision on which guy they're going with. So it'll be interesting to see how that unfolds, but Olenek ultimately, um, it's good that he's playing so well, and I think that that's gonna that's gonna probably get him minutes no matter the matchup. But particularly against Philadelphia, if Embiid is in any way, shape, or form not getting 36 minutes a night, or or there's any um, you know issues that way, it really opens up the opportunities for him because otherwise he gets kind of manhandled down there
1: uh, down low. So we kind of closed this segment where we started, which is Kelly Olenek. We're going to get into Tyler Hero here in a second. But before we do, I want to tell you about another great sponsor of the Five Reasons Sports Network, and that's you Break Wheel Fix. That's YouBreakWheelFix.com. They're located just south of Aventura in North Miami. 15 years of experience in wheel repair and refinishing. They do repairs of cracked, bent, curbed, or damaged wheels, and they also, this is the big thing, they refinish and powder coating back to factory specifications along with over 5,000 available custom colors, including the Dolphin colors, and more importantly, for Five on the Floor listeners, the Heat Vice colors. They can do themed wheel colors after your favorite South Florida team. So mention a Mark, five reasons. Check them out at 305 748 zero one one two. That's three oh five seven four eight zero one one two. You can check out all of the things that they do over at you break that's you, the letter U, break wheel dot com or their Instagram page of the same name where they got a lot of really cool stuff on there. So it's you break wheel fix three oh five seven four eight zero one one two. All right, before we get back on five on the floor, here's a little from Tyler Hero talking about who he modeled his game after this offseason. Hey, Tyler, just to follow on one thing, you, you've talked a, a, some about some of the, the guys that you were studying from a shooting perspective and, and moving off the ball. Uh, has there been anybody that you've watched for, from an on-the-ball perspective? Uh, I mean, we've seen, you know, Devin's done that a lot more since he's come into the NBA uh, than maybe he did previously. Him, someone else that you kind of watched, you know, in, in terms of improving at, at that aspect?
2: Uh, yeah, we know, <clears throat> I've talked about Devin before. Um, CJ McCollum is also another guy. Um, mm-hmm. He's amazing in, in the pick and roll. Uh, but there's, there's a lot of different guys that, you know, coach shows me that I can, you know, just examples of things that I can do. Um, taking extra dribbles, making the right pass, getting off the ball early, just doing certain things with the ball in my hands that I can take from different guys' games, so. I'm grateful to be as young as I am. I can learn from a lot of different people.
1: All right. So you listen to that clip and what we're going to do here in the second part, we've been doing this on our text string all day long is I feel like fans love comps, right? They want to know who somebody is going to become because it's the only way to project who you should trade a guy for because if you're afraid that the player you have is going to become somebody that's really good, you don't necessarily want to get rid of that guy, particularly when he's 20 years old. And so there's been a lot of conversation about who's going to be the Heat's two guard going forward. Okay, you've got Tyler Hero who just turned 20. who's not even a starter right now. I mean, technically, I guess Duncan Robinson's their two guard, although between Jimmy... Kendrick Nunn and Duncan in the starting lineup. It's hard to really know who the one, two, and three are, except that Duncan's not the one. Um, But then you go beyond it and you say, all right, you've got Oladipo, who I watched today, who clearly has an interest in Miami. Bradley Beal, whose situation is a little more complicated, but clearly has an interest in Miami. Donovan Mitchell, who clearly has an interest in Miami. By the way, the Heat did a pretty good job against Donovan Mitchell, particularly uh, when Iguodala and Crowder were in there. But his contract's pretty low. He's on a great deal there's not really a lot of incentive for Utah to move him. So you've got those three guys. And then there's some mystery two guards that the heat are talking to with the bubble, uh, which we won't get into right now. So let's project out. Okay. And I'll start with you here Leif, because we we were going back and forth on some of this hero says that for the off the ball stuff, he's modeling his game in some ways after CJ McCollum and That's not a comp that I've heard a lot. I think Nakayas mentioned that at one point. There's been a couple of others. Give me some credit, man. Did you like that? Was that yours? (laughs) I
2: I felt good. I felt so vindicated when Hero said what he said because I literally said Booker and CJ. All
1: right. I I, I did not know you made the CJ comparison.
3: When I spoke to him in the preseason uh, up in Charlotte, uh, you know, it was October. And I asked him, who did he model his game after? The first person he said was Kobe Bryant. And then he said after Kobe, he started watching LeBron. Um, And then uh, after that, and I I talked about like who else in the league and and the two guys he mentioned all the way back in October were Devin Booker and CJ McCollum. So I feel like that's a good jumping off point when we're talking about comps. Um, Devin Booker obviously has the Kentucky connections. Uh, CJ is not one that I think fans talk about as much. I think one is that, um, I don't know how much people have watched CJ McCollum. We watch a lot of Dame, but I don't know how much, uh, you know, the general NBA is, is really seeing what CJ does on a a day-to-day basis. But, uh, also it's just when there's easy low hanging fruit, like Devin Booker to compare him to, I just feel like CJ McCollum got, got lost in this. And I think it is a great, uh, comparison. I mean, we've heard the JJ Reddick stuff too. So I think that that's another one that, that, that can be a viable one. Um, but it, it's cool to hear him talk about Kobe and LeBron when we're, when we're talking about him having late game, um, you know, a mindset to to step up late in games. And also as you see him start to facilitate a little bit more, you know, taking any page out of LeBron James playbook. And obviously those are not comparisons from a game Mm -hmm. Uh, standpoint. It's just more about mindset. And, uh, you know, so it's all, it's all good comparisons.
1: Well, okay. Before we move on to LeBron and Kobe and all that, I want to stick with CJ McCollum here because this, his comment yesterday kind of caused me to go down a CJ McCollum rabbit hole. And and I, and I feel like you've hit on it where we say we don't talk about CJ McCollum because nobody talks about CJ McCollum. And if you look at CJ McCollum's numbers, you can make a reasonable case that he's the single most underrated player in the entire NBA. I mean, I I I've watched CJ quite a bit, but some of this stunned me, okay? I mean, I'm I'm looking at the numbers from just the past 5 years, and again, he was the most improved player. So it's not like, I mean, you know, he hasn't gotten any recognition. He might be the most consistent two guard in the entire league. I mean, if if you go back to 15-16 when he turned 24. I, I'm I'm going to throw this at you, I'm just going to throw out the number, just the consistency of the numbers. Okay. I'm not talking game to game. I'm talking season to season, 15, 16 through nineteen, twenty points per game, 20.8, 23.0, 21.4, 21.0, 22.5. I thought he had a down year this year. He didn't. Um, then you look at field goal percentage. Okay. 45, 48, 44, 46, 45 three-point percentage 42 42 40 38 38 okay rebounding three four 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 assists four four three three four he literally has produced identical numbers for five years and been durable okay 15, 16, 80 games, 16, 17, 80 games, 17, 18, 81 games. Last year, he played 70. This year, he would played 62, which I, I think the Blazers had played 67, okay? I mean, if people don't look at this, they say, okay, if Tyler Hero becomes CJ McCollum, you know, I think most Heat that's fans would be
2: astounding like – That's a W. Oh my right, God. right. That's yeah. what I'm
1: saying, but I don't think Heat fans would look at it that way, but I think Tyler Hero does, right? Yeah, if he starts putting
2: up around 20 a game eventually, I think that would be – what he fans are kind of uh, hoping for. Yeah. They'll flip the
3: switch at that point. Like that's one of those um, benchmarks when you start getting a 20 point per game score, you know, you read off all those stats and it's, it's unbelievable. Has CJ McCollum made an all-star team? No. I mean, that's just crazy. and, and,
1: And it's not just that the free, the free throw shooting too. 83, 91, 84, 83. This year he was 75. I mean, he's literally now his, his defensive rating stuff is not great. Okay. But, but offensively, I mean, is it, is it because he plays next to Lillard? Is it because he's in Portland? I, I mean, we don't, I we don't talk about him from enough. That.
2: I think he, he's maximized there as a two-guard uh, just consistently because of Dame Lillard and because of the way the offense runs around them, too, where it's just kind of like...
3: Let it fly. Yeah, I mean, that, that's really what you see from, from Portland on a consistent basis.
1: I mean, but they've not. But they have not had. Okay, I understand he's had Lillard. But they've look. They're bigs. I mean, you know, I don't want to. I don't. You know, they had Whiteside this year. They had Nurkic the year before. Nurkic played pretty well tonight. Um, but they haven't had dominant bigs uh, with them. With the two of them, they've not. Their threes have mostly been three and D kind of low end three and D guys, right? I mean, they, they haven't had great bench punch. I mean, it, they've been. I mean, he's been clearly their number two guy. And, and yet I, I just don't I think that's feel he's like he's got he not looked at.
2: I think that's why he's not looked at as a, you know, in the same excitement uh, level as like a Donovan Mitchell or even a Victor Lodipo who we've seen, you know, be guys who are the number one option on the team on playoff teams. Whereas also has just been a, you know, a number two forever.
3: Also like the small school thing, I think also mm-hmm. hurts. And, this is going to sound completely ridiculous and very topical, but the fact that he doesn't go up and dunk on people—yep, like there's only a few guys in the league that can get away with doing the stuff that Steph Curry can do. Envy is as popular as Steph Curry is, um, and uh, and so the fact that you don't see some of maybe the highlight reel stuff, the top ten Sports Center stuff, that may be, play into it as well. And also,
2: oh, all-star teams, man. those
3: those teams out in the Northwest, they. I would venture to guess that a lot of the East Coast just does not catch that many games, and ultimately, that is going to drive some of the interest level. And you're going to see players that play for the New York Knicks that are chucking up shots that get more views than a CJ McCollum out in Portland.
2: But I'm looking at all. You Oladipo's think Julius Randle gets more views than CJ McCollum,
1: <laughs> or or any of the other power forwards? But I'm looking. I'm looking <laughs> at. Okay, I'm looking at all the depots numbers. All right. Oladipo has had one season that's been better than any season that that, that, that has been better than the corresponding season for C.J. McCollum. And Ol- I know he's a better defender. I I get that. Much better. <laughs> Much better. But he's also only one year younger. Okay. Yep. And I don't want to make this a, a – again, I, this, this episode is not supposed to be a referendum on C.J. McCollum, but it is instructive because as we start to talk about Hero. Okay. Oladipo has had one season better than any of those Mc- yep. last five McCollum seasons, and that's the 17-18 right. season. Okay. And yet we talk about, okay, Donovan Mitchell. All right. Has had, okay. I, I think you can make an argument. I, I don't think he was better than CJ last year. He was better than him as a rookie. Maybe, maybe, I mean, that's questionable. He's a little younger, obviously, but I, I mean, I'm, I'm definitely
2: better than CJ this year
1: than, than this year. Yes. But I mean, if you look at, at Donovan Mitchell's numbers, I mean, last year, well, he averaged 24 last year, but he did it on 43% shooting 36% from three. Just I the, mean, the CJ's aspect, numbers guess, are, he's a number one. He is a number one. I guess you look at it that way. But all right, so let's get back to this from a hero perspective because I find it interesting that Hero is modeling himself after CJ because I'm watching CJ tonight with no Lillard, and that's the reason I decided to watch this game. And I'm watching the responsibility that they give CJ McCollum, and I'm also looking at some of the numbers on Basketball Reference where it's pretty clear that CJ plays about 15 to 20% at the point. All right? I think of all the models we're talking about. We're going to get into Booker. We're going to get into some of these others. That CJ McCollum may actually be the ideal. That may, that may be where the Heat are steering him—a guy who can who it can be a lethal scorer, but at a, at a high rate, high rate free throw shooter. Um, you know, maybe not as dependent on him as say the Suns are on Booker. But can also handle the ball fifteen to twenty percent of the time. He's basically the primary point guard, and I feel like that's what these two games were about. And so, when I'm thinking of a comp now, and Hero mentioned it, that's the one I'm thinking of.
3: Yeah, no, I it, it, the, when you unpack it the way you just did, it makes so much sense, and there's so many parallels.
1: This show is sponsored by BetterHelp.
0: And if you love the Filet-O-Fish, right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba. That
3: that would really fit perfectly. And uh, the other part of that is when, when you read off the, the CJ McCollum statistics, and, and they are really good stats, and, and he's a really good player, I think if you asked folks in the heat organization and they may not say it publicly because um, you know, they don't want to put the kind of immense pressure on young players. I think they expect Tyler hero to get to that point. I really do. I, I really feel like they went into the draft, they honed in on him. There was some really close conversation between the organization and the coaching staff in Kentucky. They really endorsed Tyler Hero in ways that, that very few guys get endorsed. And, um, and And it was all about the fact that he had that edge that could maybe turn into star potential. So I really think that the organization is looking at it from the perspective of getting him to that level. And so I don't find it unrealistic at all.
2: It sounds like they're on the same page then, because I was about to say, I think even more than the organization, and he thinks he's going to be going down that path. I feel like he wants the pressure. The way that he, just by, you could tell the way that he's been playing it just in these couple of games. that We know there's scrimmages. We know the team hasn't been healthy. It's not going to look like this uh, once, you know, the seeding game started, and definitely not the playoff games. He probably won't have that same load. But what you see is a guy who really wants that, those types of shots. He was really, you know, trying to get. Uh, be a pick and roll creator, somebody who could take shots inside the arc and somebody who was effective inside the arc over these couple of games. He wasn't, you know, kind of forcing bad shots. He's been making those little midi shots, you know, whether it's those little leaners or the jumpers or, you know, trying to create out of the pick and roll and do some of those Devin Booker things. Because I, that's the, I like the CJ McCollum one a lot, but Devin Booker is still to me the ideal, like, best case scenario for a Tyler Hero. Because, I just think as as a playmaker, Booker has improved so much, and I think Hero's already cl- a lot closer than Booker was at that time. And I think that's something we forget is that Booker did not have that playmaking part so over true. those first couple of years. He was just, he was a shooter, and you know you can't blame him. These guys, people don't come out that polished. And Hero isn't a primary playmaker yet. He can't. I don't think he could do that uh, for a team. But he is advanced in some of these places where it usually takes guys of his you know, caliber some years to develop. Like he's, he's ahead of Buddy Yield in some things already, right?
3: Like- he, he's the most polished heat rookie that I've ever seen, offensively.
2: That's wow, a good, how are you going to disrespect good, Michael Beasley like that?
1: Well, 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 actually you can you can make a case for Beasley, um, although he was so unpolished in every other way. That's actually an interesting debate. You always bring up these things that are interesting sort of side debates. I'm not I'm not going to allow myself to go there although I'm writing that one down. Um, I, but let, let, let's let's get back to Booker though for a second because I saw Nakia's tweet something out the other day. There was a conversation about Booker and about how him being sort of forced to play a lot of point guard because they didn't have one. Uh, it has led to where, a little bit to where he is now. I mean, he's not played, Devin Booker's not played with particularly good point guards in Phoenix. I mean, Bledsoe forced his way out. And that's been pretty much it. I mean, they, they really, I mean, that's, you know, I mean, for an organization that's had the likes of Steve Nash and Kevin Johnson. Um, you <laughs> don't like
3: Ricky Rubio?
1: It's been, oh, no, Rubio's better than what they've had. But I'm saying for those two- or three-year period, you did not really have anybody. I remember they – what was that guy's name? James something? Mike something? I don't know. It wasn't Mike James. James. No, it wasn't the Heat guy, Mike James. There was a – It's
2: a different Mike James.
1: It was, right? They kept him instead of Derek Jones Jr., right? That was the the, – You got it. Right. And then he was gone shortly after.
2: Look, you see – I mean, you see what T.J. Warren is now for the Pacers, and we joke about him a lot, but the guy has been way better for the Pacers than he ever was in the Suns, and they just kind of let him go.
1: Yeah,
3: well, the Suns are one of those organizations. They do not maximize guys, and it's why everyone has kind of speculated Devin Booker would eventually to find his way out. Um, even though he's starting to kind of round into form, almost so is Aiden, in, in spite uh, of of the you know structure in, in Phoenix.
1: Right. So, so, but let's let's get back to it because the, the the playmaking component for Devin Booker, which was developed by necessity. I feel like the Heat don't want to do that. The Heat are not in that position. They they can't be experimental in real games. They're they're competing for something, <laughs> okay? Whether they're competing for a championship or whether they're competing to keep themselves in the public this is eyes, perfect, though. so He's that Giannis bench. wants. Them. But but that's what I'm okay. But I'm what I'm saying is how how much of what Devin is doing now can Tyler get to? I mean, is there is there a skill set that Devin has? that Tyler doesn't? I guess let's start there.
2: Really, I think it's just levels of polish. I think uh, Devin Booker is just, you know, and he's also grown into his body more than, than Hero has. So I think he's just kind of ahead and only in, really in those things, just reps and years and weight gained and games played. Because other than that, Hero has all of those things that that Booker has, just not – like he definitely can't score – at the same level as Booker. Booker is yeah. far ahead of him as a scorer right now. But Hero, when you watch him play, he has like all of these different uh, skills that I think is kind of what Booker relies on as a scoring playmaker. And I think it's just a matter of polishing and growing into the body. Because I, I really do think he could be at like a 75%, 80% facsimile of what Devin Booker is.
3: And that that's the exact thing right there. When you said growing into the body that's what it all comes down to for me with Devin Booker and Tyler Hero in the comparison there is that their games are very identical and they're, they're taking pages out of the same playbook from Kentucky. So none of that is a secret. It's just a matter of that. When you get three, four years, five years, around NBA trainers in those conditioning programs you just and then obviously you're also maturing as a human being all of those things are the perfect storm for guys to kind of all of a sudden grow into themselves and that's what we're seeing with Devin Booker I think Tyler Hero is going to go through that same thing particularly in Miami and and when, if you were to think of him having a little bit of a stronger frame because the thing that Devin Booker is doing now is I feel like there's nobody that can get in the way of him getting his shot off. And we see yep. those. We see that in spurts from Tyler Hero where, where he's just unconscious and he is really um, crafty in the way that he, you know, with his footwork and step backs. But Devin Booker is taking it to another level. So
1: that's just where Tyler has to go. But the difference between the two of them, the large difference, and I want to get into some more of the specifics of, of how they play, but the large difference is, is environment where Tyler's, uh, like I said, they force-fed a lot of this stuff to Devin because they had no one else to do it. Miami, they're going to have other guys to do it. They don't have a traditional point guard, per se, other than maybe Dragic, but they have other guys to do a lot of those things, whereas the the, the Phoenix roster was threadbare, and I feel like Devin developed some bad habits but kind of broke through it. Yep. It's going to be a little bit different for Tyler Because he can't develop bad habits because if he develops too many bad habits, they have other guys to play, right? So I I wonder if that will delay his – But they have him competing on defense, though.
2: What's that? I think they have him competing on defense, though, which is something that he's ahead of Booker in as far as, you know, at this point in their careers. Like, I think Booker was somebody who was one of the worst defenders in the league those first, you know, two, three years, whatever it was. was. He was literally in the bottom. And I think Hero is obviously not a great defender. But at the same time, like you watch him play, he competes. He 100% puts in more effort than Booker did at that time. And I think Booker had kind of a similar frame to what Hero has right now. So I think it it makes sense that, uh, you know, he kind of grows into a similar place where Booker is now.
3: Dev, Devin he, Booker Devin Booker wishes he had a Jimmy Butler around him to kind of right. – to, to
2: oh my god, Instead just take him under his
3: wing, and you know, e- Ethan hit on a good point about could it stunt the um, how quickly the trajectory is for Hero to become a star because he's playing on a team that actually is playing for uh, something, and, and there's veteran guys, and there's other options. But I think the more you see Spo putting the ball in Hero's hands, there's a couple parts of that. One, it's 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 getting him to a point where he can make that leap. But also you want to find out exactly how quickly hero can get there because there's going to be a decision about do you accelerate this a bit by really being aggressive in the trade market and I don't want to take this into a transactional conversation, but you want to think about if you need to leverage a guy like Tyler Hero to go get somebody else that fits for now or do you want to just hold hero and wait um, you know for something down the line? So there's evaluation points too that I think will allow them to really, Put his feet to the fire a bit, and it'll be ultimately healthy for him.
2: Well, I this think is it's why healthy. I think they should throw him into the closing lineups uh, more often than not. And I'm not going to be surprised once Spo is rotating guys that we talked about in the past in those closing five. But I would love to see you know Hero really. My, I'm not going to lie to you. My favorite five is uh, Iguodala and Hero out there with the with the three most important players, which we know are Jimmy Bam and Duncan. That's that's my five. Not obviously, it would change for different matchups, but. I love the idea of having those five guys out there and Hero really uh I think plays better next to Jimmy and Bam, just like anybody else does on the team. And then I think you trust Duncan, obviously is, you know, he's kind of their most important offensive player at this point. You trust Iguadala with the playoff experience. And I think Hero is somebody who, whether he's playing with the best five in the closing five or or, you know, coming off the bench, he will find a way to get to his shot if it's there for him. He's not gonna force it. I think that's something that he's actually really good at, better than Booker was at that time is Playing within a system and kind of what Stan Van Gundy said when we talked to him was kind of making a quick decision whether you're gonna you know shoot or uh, fake and drive and pass like everything is quick and I think that's something that he's kind of gotten a hold of the the NBA pace even though he's only 20 years old and he's skinny and not super athletic with short arms and all that the IQ is there the the feel for the game is really there so I think he's gonna be ahead of Booker in some uh, you know specifically defensively he's already a great rebounder for his size like. I think he's going to be ahead of Booker in some aspects and maybe won't be as good of a scorer as Booker is, who is an amazing scorer right now. I mean, and Booker has turned into a great passer. So I think, like, getting 75%, 80% of a Booker would just be incredible for this team. That would be an absolute, like, gem at at the 14th pick or whatever he was.
1: I want to get to some of the other comps, but um, we're talking about the closing lineup. And I think Eric's already made that decision that, that Hero's going to be in the closing lineup a lot. But what about, what, so? what, what about the starting lineup? What about the starting lineup? Because I, I feel like this year, uh, again, we thought it might be Tyler in the starting lineup, and then they rolled out Kendrick Nunn in the first game, and it never changed. And Duncan Robinson uh, you know, got that spot, and it didn't change, and it doesn't look like that's ever going to change now. But if you're really grooming a guy to be your star, you already have Goran Dragic as a sixth man. Not your only star, but one of your core stars. And you're also potentially grooming him. If he's not going to be one of your stars, he's going to be the piece. He really is the piece that would get you the big star, right, if he progresses the way that you want him to.
2: Does he
1: need to start, does he need to start, Greg, in his second season?
3: I think he will. I think ultimately that it's one of those situations where this is all the time that he needs. They're going to go into next season. Like, let me preface all this by saying this, if they made a run, to the game seven of the Eastern Conference finals or somehow got to the finals and Kendrick Nunn is the starting guard and they have a lineup that's set and it's rolling. um, They may not mess with that. So that's like the one caveat to all this talk, but in the event that this season ends pretty much how we expect it to, which is a a good run, a solid team, um, a contending team, but maybe not a title contending team. I think that it just makes so much sense to, have Jimmy and Bam and flank them with Tyler and Duncan and, and Tyler Hero specifically for all the reasons you mentioned were that he's being groomed. But I also think that just this is like his second season is starting now and it's just going to be an extension of what we see now later in the fall. And it's just going to be the natural moment to move him into that. And I also think that don't discount Jimmy Butler banging the table for that move to happen as well.
2: I mean, Jimmy's already playing point guard. What is what is it to just move him to point guard and then just bring Hero as an example, right? Maybe we do just stick with Kendrick Nunn. Like I said, I mean, we talked about it so many times. The starting lineup they have has been so good for them. So that's kind of what's been delaying Hero's run as a starter. But my God, that bench lineup just looks so good. And I think they're kind of they're gonna be banking on that. On that, well, they're know, banking on a bench it now. Lineup, but- that's going to be better than everybody else's, and a starting lineup you can rely on. and Then, just kind of picking from there the best five based on matchup. I think that's honestly the best formula. And hero, hero, I think you're right. I think hero's going to be there more often than not. He just has it, and he's made more shots than anybody already at 20 years old, and can do more thing, more than one thing on, on the offensive end, where some of these other guys are very limited
1: but the, but the thing about it is like i said there's two different things we're talking about there's what they're going to do this year which is pretty clear tyler's going to remain on the bench unless none really struggles i mean i think i think tyler comes off with that second group with dragic but i do think that bigger picture you to have him, to get right? you have we're to get tyler in, in the starting lineup it it's not this year uh, no. necessarily it's but it's it's next year but if you do that see that's where things become a little complex because one of the things we've talked about on other episodes is that Dragic and Nunn in particular don't seem to have any chemistry so if you're making a decision to put Hero in the starting lineup and you're basically pulling Dragic and Nun off as your sixth and seventh man that's where this conversation about do you move Kendrick do you re-sign Goran or is there really only room for one? Because otherwise, you're coming off with a small backup backcourt that is very highly skilled, but doesn't seem to be, at least from what we saw from the numbers this year and ALF's eye test, uh, doesn't seem to be particularly complementary, right? I mean, I, you have to do what's best for the, for, for the long-term future of the organization because that's where Pat's mind is and, and I, it's where it should be. And that's Tyler Hero as a starter. But I yeah. do think that it does complicate the bench a little bit because I think they came to a decision that Dragic and Nunn were better off separate than together.
3: Agreed. And I also think that there, if I had to be, if I had to bet, I would imagine that there's going to be some sort of movement with Kendrick or Goren at some point. And, and it may not be at the start of next season. It may be that they try to make that work and, and, and figure it out uh, until the trading deadline or something like that. But eventually that's not, those two guys off the bench is not going to work, but I don't think Spo will force Tyler Hero into the starting lineup. I wasn't trying to imply that at all, but I think it's more of this if he continues developing at the pace that he's developed from day one, and I mean day one back in the summer league, if he stays on the same pace and just continues on, I don't think they're going to be able to keep him off the floor at the start of next season. It's not going to really be about the semantics of lineups and matchups. It's just going to be, you've got to have him in the starting lineup. So it'll transcend some of that stuff.
2: No, I I'm in complete agreement with late there. I think, I mean, we've been saying since the beginning of the year that we wanted Hero in the starting lineup, and I'm not going to blame them for keeping Kendrick Nunn in there all year. He deserved it. He outplayed Hero even in summer league. But even then, we all know Kendrick Nunn is the more uh, skilled one, I think, going forward when we're projecting the future of, of the, the Heat. We already know that Hero's above Kendrick Nunn on the ladder as far as guys are prioritizing in their young core. But um, at the end of the day, we're I think – like how surprised would you be if maybe he doesn't start off right away next season, but like a week or two into the season, they just kind of make the move. <laughs> I, I, like, I would be there's surprised. There's going to be some intense staggering between none and dragic where they end up like not even playing with each other that much. Well, if, the, if
1: they're both on the roster, which again, we don't know, but I, but I think I, I would be surprised. Honestly, I'll call it now. I will be surprised if Tyler hero is not the day one starter next year. And, and I think part of it is the way that the organization approaches things. And it's what was happening with justice Winslow this year. Okay. But justice didn't take it. Okay. Uh, because he got hurt again, but the organization I think wants to put the carrot out there for the guy and then throw the responsibility on them. And if the carrot for Tyler hero, this entire offseason is keep, progressing the way you're progressing, keep working the way you're working. Remember, this is going to be a short ass off season. Okay. Particularly if the heat go as far as they want to go. Right. I mean, it's starting back up again in December, this thing could end. I mean, for the Heat's sake, they hope it's October, but it's probably going to be sometime in September. I mean, there's only going to be a couple of months there, right. Instead of the usual four months. And so if they can put a carrot in front of Tyler and say, you keep working this will be here for you, okay? You're going to be a 30-plus minute a game player, and you're going to be a starter, and and we're gonna we're gonna ride with you. I wouldn't be surprised if they throw that out there for him um, to to kind of keep him engaged this entire offseason. We've seen, and I think one of the one of the things I saw on Twitter that's interesting, and in our last few minutes, I want to get back to some of the comps. But one of the things I saw on Twitter that was interesting the past couple of days is, you know, mentioning again that for Tyler you can't even look at this as an extension of his rookie season. It's really his second season now. I mean, they, they just had four months off, right? Like he played 60 games or almost 60 games. I know he was hurt for some of them. So he had kind of a full rookie. season. I mean, he played twice as many games for the heat as he played at Kentucky total. Right. So, I mean, he, he's pretty much had, I mean, he's, I don't even look at him. I, and I think if you could ask Spo this question, maybe we will, does he look at some of these guys now? I mean, Duncan's a, an odd case because he's not a rookie, but he, it was kind of his first year playing. But does he look at Kendrick Nunn and and Tyler Hero as second-year players at this point? Because they are, basically. Yeah. The, this is essentially the moment where usually
3: the game starts to slow down for these guys and they were already ahead of that curve anyway. So I think mm-hmm. it, this is the second season and there's not going to be a third season. You know, they dangled this carrot of more responsibility with Josh Richardson too. And they really yes. put the ball in his hands and that was a big thing with him as well. And he responded very well to it in a lot of situations when he wasn't stepping out of bounds. But <laughs> um, so I, I think that that's uh, it's all viable stuff. And I, I don't think that they looked at, at they trust, these guys, they—I mean, Kedrick Nunn was starting the minute he got back. So I feel like that there's a different level of trust with these rookies. Um, aside from Dwayne and and Caron Butler got to play a lot of, uh, as a rookie because it was a really bad team. But there, there's very few in the organization's history that are being trusted the way that these guys are.
1: Because most of the rookies came in, most of the rookies came into good teams, and and for some of them, it may have been the reason why they never developed. I mean, I, I don't know what Tim James and Wayne Simeon and some of these other guys would have been, but Darrell Wright's career was certainly held back a little bit because of the type of team he joined, which was not the type of team he was supposed to be joining. Um, you know, I mean, was he was supposed to be joining a young team, and then they got have Shaq.
2: Shaq for assets to so develop Darrell Wright clearly. You know,
1: well, Here of course we they did of of course they did and, and i just i I just think it it 's different because you bringing you brought hero and none, and again, none was found money, but you brought these guys and Duncan into a team it 's a little different than fifteen sixteen because in fifteen sixteen you were bringing Richardson and Winslow into a team you thought would be pretty good i mean I know you you had you know you still had Bosch, you still had dwayne. Um, And so you had with this team, you had Jimmy, but you really didn't know where Bam was. And so you're bringing in, you know, a couple of young players and they just played much more than than heat rookies would typically play. I mean, Beasley and Chalmers played. Chalmers started every game in in 08, but that was coming off a 15 win season. Um, It's different. And so I, I just think I don't know that they even anticipated they'd give these guys so much responsibility, but I do think they look at them as second year players. We don't have that much more time, so let's get to some of the other comps. Uh, we've talked about Booker. I mean, that's a very, very high upside offensive comp. We've talked about McCollum, who I think is the one. I uh, think that, the hero could score 70. That doesn't get attention. I think he'd like to. Uh, who, who, what, would be, what was the next on your list, Greg?
3: Um, I thought J.J. Redick was a viable name to, to think about. Um, you know, it's a little bit different games, but I think that J.J. Redick is a guy that he could model himself after, and there's certain elements of what J.J. Redick does that would be really valuable. Um, I thought that uh, – Buddy Heald was an interesting one that I think Alex brought up that I think is an interesting comp, even though there's, you know, the the shooting comparisons are there, but maybe some of the elements of the game, uh, Tyler Hero is a head on and an interesting one. Um, I I reached out right when Hero was drafted because I was a little dumbfounded by the pick. I reached out to a friend that is really close to, to the Kentucky organization and, um, and we talked through it, and they mentioned a name that then had been mentioned has been mentioned to me more than once since then. And that's and this is gonna, I'm taking this way back because I don't know anything about him. And that's John Havlicek was a name that came up too. So um, these are <laughs> I, I know uh, like uh, I'm not dating myself. I didn't watch him, um, but uh, ultimately these are all interesting names. And uh, when when we when we went down the road of what heat comp was there? The only one that jumped off the page to me was maybe Rex Chapman, but I felt like it was a little bit of a reach.
1: Yeah, he's a little bit of a reach. I mean, Rex gets more attention now for posting videos on, uh, on Twitter. I, but, there, but, but Rex had um, – I mean, there's a similarity there. I mean, obviously the Kentucky thing, uh, obviously the white guard thing. But, but Rex had a swagger to him um, when he was playing. I mean, Rex in college was a sensation. Like he was, I mean, he was a big, big, big deal. And he played with attitude in, in some of the ways that Tyler here. I mean, now you're making me even, you know, you're going to force me to get even more in Rex Chapman's DMs because I'm already in there uh, to, to try to bring him on the, on five on the floor yeah. to talk about it because I know he's a big fan of heroes. I, I, I do think there's some similarity there. I'm going to throw the J.J. Reddick one out. Uh, I feel like we made that one on draft night because it was the lazy white guard comparison. But I think we've all kind of made the case here on five on the floor that Duncan Robinson is more J.J. Redick in terms of play style.
3: Yeah. Right? Oh, Clay sure. Thompson.
1: Clay Thompson. I forgot. But it's I also a- think with Clay, I also think, I, I think Duncan Robinson is more the comp with Clay than Tyler is, right? right. Like- I
2: think Duncan is Clay right now, except, you know, with all the extra other ways that Clay can kind of score on his own with the post up stuff or.
3: I love it. We're calling Duncan Robinson Clay Thompson yes. on the Five
1: on the Floor podcast. But
3: offensively, offensively it's yes. not crazy,
2: though.
1: Offensively, I mean, defensively, yeah, obviously. It's worlds apart. But, like, and offensively. his attempts are only
2: going to go up from here. Like, once he gets those attempts up and, and all of a sudden you, we have, like, four straight seasons of him on high attempts just being one of the elite shooters in the league, he's just going to be offense Clay Thompson.
1: Yeah, I I, I, I think that he's that's. He's already a,
2: there that's
1: in his a, first year, basically. This
2: is crazy. Right.
1: Right, it it is crazy, and and he's doing it without Steph Curry playing next to him. I mean, he's got good players, but he doesn't have that kind of gravity drawing the defense somewhere else. I, I mean, mean, Clay Clay's it
2: open a lot. Makes no sense, man. Not like I don't know why it just like hit me now more than it has in the past. Like this Duncan Robinson thing is just unbelievable,
1: untouchable. <laughs> No, he is untouchable, but then the question becomes if he's untouchable, we'll close here because I I, I think you throw out Reddick, I think you throw out Clay. I think with Tyler Hero, we're talking more now. I
2: agree with the Havlicek one. I remember watching John Havlicek.
1: Yes, as a child. Uh, I, I think we're talking more now about, you know, two guards who can play the point, switch over, play there fifteen percent of the time, have a little bit of wiggle, can get their own shot. I mean, Tyler attacking the rim and trying to dunk on Rudy Gobert, that's not JJ Redick. That's not Klay Thompson. Okay. That's maybe a little bit more Devin. Um under Dan. Li- Who's that? Under Dan. A little well, when uh, more white guys are comparing him to I, I right? just I, I I just I think
2: <laughs> he's more
1: bad. he's more of the new wave kind of one and a half in the league. Like uh, you know, I, I I know we were talking about Trey Young a little bit. And Trey, I I agree, is a much better passer than Tyler is. But again, I could see the Heat putting the ball in Tyler Hero's hands, not as much as it's in Trey Young's hands, but quite a bit. So I think
3: we need to –
2: Perimeter-oriented shot creator. Correct. where we're going with this?
3: We're going Steph Curry. That's where this is leaning the direction. That's where
1: this is ending. Yes, I agree. Uh, (laughs) That's where this is
2: ending. Steph and Clay, all of a sudden, I mean, we have the Warriors. I mean, it's crazy.
1: All right. Here's the last question, then, because you mentioned this, uh, Duncan Robinson. Check out our sponsor, Corey Leif. You Break, Also, Biscayne Bay Brewing. Also, check out louispeters.com. Um, if you have any uh, for State Farm, if you have any insurance work that you need done, Seltzer Mayberg Law Firm. OneCallLegal.com. legal.com. But uh, before we close, you said Duncan Robinson is untouchable. You keep saying that, Leif. We said that about Bam last year. Why is Duncan Robinson untouchable at age 26? and we're not calling Tyler Hero untouchable at age 20 when there seem to be more elements of his game that can still be developed?
3: Two reasons, I think one, that um, Tyler Hero, so there's a couple things. One is that I think there's an, an assumption being made that Tyler Hero would be a more attractive trade asset so there's a part of that that if you think about really having to go out and get aggressive getting aggressive and making a move, like I'll just make an example, Bradley Beal. I think that ultimately Washington may be more receptive to building around a Tyler hero for, for maybe even some off the court reasons in terms of marketability and stuff like that versus a Duncan Robinson. So, so that's one part of it. And, um, But here's the other part of it. Tyler Hero may be untouchable. And I think that we probably don't talk about this enough is that Jimmy loves Tyler Hero. The organization loves Tyler Hero. Everybody that they talk to signed off on him in ways that, that very few rookies have ever been signed off on. So they may consider him untouchable and it's just that he gets thrown in these trade machine scenarios because he is recognized as an attractive option that would that would actually retrieve one of these stars that becomes available
2: is he untouchable alex i mean it's a great point that Leif is making there i hadn't really thought about it in that way but yeah jimmy has been all for tyler hero since day one like leif mentioned and that might be a great point it's gonna be really hard to Get the organization to move from him, but is it honestly realistic to be able to, you know, to try to land one of these guys that we mentioned in the past without him? I don't really think so. Um, maybe in Depot. not even sure there. But without Tyler Hero, and I, I certainly don't think they even want, they want to trade Duncan Robinson at all. Like we're saying, and even then, like let's say you had a package of Duncan and Kendrick Nunn, not to make this transactional, but what I'm saying is, if you make Tyler Hero untouchable. The other scenario is, well, you may not have enough, but at the end of the day, I'm just silly for questioning priority because we all know there's obstacles, but there really are none.
1: That's right. We could put that on a t-shirt. Actually, you can get that at five backslash merchandise. All right. Thanks for joining us. Uh, t- today we have discovered that Tyler hero is either CJ McCollum or Devin Booker and, uh, Leif know, said
2: Steph Curry. I don't, I don't know. Leif don't Leif said Steph part. Curry.
1: We're, we're going to ignore that. And we're throwing the JJ Redick thing out. I'm not just you know just you know we're throwing it out. We're going to go with that for Duncan Robinson. Tyler Hero stole the ball. Tyler Hero stole the ball. That's pretty damn good. That's pretty damn good. Um, all right. Check out. Also, this week we're going to be doing a live. Uh, is that stream. a Havlicek thing there? Or? Yeah, that is a Havlicek <laughs> thing there. You should study up on your NBA history. We're going to be doing a live stream Tuesday. I don't know if I'm going to be on it, but somebody will be. I think Alex. Uh, we'll be, and we'll, we'll grab some folks off the street for that one. Sure. Um, that's the last scrimmage. I am going up just so, you know, I'm going up for games two, three, and four, the real games. I'll be in Orlando. So uh, be up there for the Celtics, Bucks, and Raptors games. So murderers row that the Heat have to play the top three teams in the East that we're going to play them back to back to back, and I'll be covering all those for five reasons. Sports, check out our YouTube channel. And again, every day, 10 a.m. to 11 a.m., nothing but net channel on Dash Radio. Thank you for listening to
0: the Five on the Floor on the Fire Resume Sports Network. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich.